The following is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Hacky Reitman. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains. Today, we're lucky to have with us from Nova Southeastern University, Dr. Scott Simon Fair, who's a psychologist who's written seven, that's right, seven books on group therapy. Doctor, welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I'm very comfortable if you call me Scott. Well, you can call me Hacky then. I was planning on that. Good. <laughs> this is going to be, how did you get into this group therapy? How did you get into this? Ah, uh, many, many years ago in my early 20s, I had some issues in my life. I'm shocked. I know. And uh, one of those issues was I was painfully shy. Painfully shy. Profoundly shy. I never spoke. So I went into therapy and I was rewarded with the greatest therapist that ever lived. And she worked with me and worked with me and eventually put me into group therapy. And that's where I found my voice in speaking to others. So I'm a, a great proponent of group therapy. Can we mention that wonderful therapist who helped you? Um, she's no longer alive. And her name was Elizabeth. Did she work with you in a group or individual? Well, I saw her first individually, and she did something with me that was highly unusual. We're talking over 50 years ago. Because I was so shy, I didn't speak. And she was a orthodox Freudian analyst. You know, you're on the couch. Well, I was on the couch and didn't speak. Then she tried putting me in a chair, and I didn't speak. And then she thought, I got to do something with this guy. So she started to tell me about her life, something you're trained never to do. And especially if you're a Freudian analyst, you don't disclose anything. And I would identify with certain things that she said, and she would say, Tell me a little bit more. And she had a life that was unbelievable. She used to say to me, Booby, what are you going to do when you really have a problem? So after that experience, yes. you decided to go into the field. She pushed me in the field. She felt I had certain, I guess, abilities, qualities. Um, I tended to elicit feelings in other people, good, bad, whatever. And she really pushed me into the field. I was not going to go into this field. Then when you went into this field, yes. now she, if I'm understanding this correctly, she treated you one-on-one. -on -one. And in group also. And in group also. And then when you went out, did you immediately start group or did you start once you had your education? 
I went back to school, finished my undergraduate, got two masters, went on for my doctorate, and came out probably unrealistic, and I started a practice. And it took off. So, I love group. I think sitting one-to-one -one can be a little tiring, but group is always very, very active, especially if you run it effectively. What are the tips to running it effectively? Being able to withstand heightened emotionality. Groups are usually between eight and ten people. Um, and it's very possible for these eight to ten people to all be screaming at the same time. Sometimes the pictures in my office slide. That's how much yelling there can be. Um, but it's good because they're getting their feelings out. And then everyone leaves as friends again. I make everyone hug each other. Um, but you have to be able to withstand strong emotionality. And a lot of therapists, this causes them a great discomfort. So they're more comfortable dealing one-on-one. -on -one. Is it hard to talk the clients into group, or they just come to you already knowing that? Um, well, two parts. Um, generally, I take clients from my private practice that I see individually to get them ready. When I feel they're ready, I then put them in a group. So they have to go to you first. Yes. And see, and then you make the judgment whether or not they can withstand it. Absolutely. And I can make that judgment sometimes in one, one session. What types of conditions do you treat? Um, when I first started and I had extensive student loans, I treated everybody. And uh, <laughs> now that uh, I don't have student loans, I have groomed my practice that I see very high-functioning professionals who are success-oriented and because of that, it causes some interpersonal difficulties in their interpersonal relationships, such as they're competitive. And that's great in business, but it's not great in an interpersonal relationship. Because as you're aware, in competition, there's a winner and a loser. Well, who the hell wants to be the loser all the time in a relationship? So I smooth them out, hopefully. And I have a great practice. Is that the number one problem you see, the competitiveness? In society or with my clients? Both, each. Well, in society, the number one problem is self-concentration me before everybody else, and the lack of relatedness. People don't talk to each other anymore. If you watch, go out to dinner, you're on their phones.
I have students that break off their engagement through a text message. They don't know how to say thank you. People are not appreciative. I'm sure there are many people that are. I don't run into a lot of them. So hopefully, um, through this paradigm that I've been working on for 20 years, um, I'm helping people become people again. Can you share with our audience, in general terms, the paradigm? I call it. It's a long name for really a simple explanation. Interactive, interpersonal psychotherapy. Interactive means you and I, we talk to each other. I'm not autocratic here. I am not the authority. Basically, you are the authority on your life. I talk to you about your life. But if you ask me any question, both personal or professional, I will answer it. We're taught never to do that. Now, in, in sharing your personal information with your client. client, do you run into ethical issues? There is nothing written that says it's against the law to disclose yourself. Ethical issues, it depends on what paradigm you're working from. Now, uh, someone who works from uh, a psychoanalytic paradigm may say, well, this is unethical. You're interfering with uh, the transference or the projections or whatever. I'm in a profession where they're always looking to discourage anything that is new and different. But it's not unethical to do it. I mean, I'm, I'm doing this job for 20 years. I've never had a complaint. In thinking about group therapy, and let me show our audience, this is the, the latest book. Yeah, the third edition of this one. Third edition, Group Therapy. Introduction to Group Therapy, a Practical Guide by Scott Simon Fair. What would you say is the biggest misunderstanding by John Q. Public about group therapy? I think the biggest misunderstanding by the layperson is about therapy, period, especially here in South Florida. In New York, California, Chicago, Argentina, your next door neighbors in therapy. But here in South Florida, it's considered something you don't want to tell others about, that you're in therapy for fear of being judged. Hacky everyone should be in therapy at some time in their life. What would you say to someone who is uneasy about sharing in group therapy? That's a very normal feeling. I understand it. I went through it. The first day I went to group therapy, 
I thought I'd pee in my pants. I was so nervous. But then, one of the extraordinary things about group therapy is I got to see and listen to people older than myself who are really quite successful talking about my problems. So I didn't feel alone. So I would say give it a shot. Are there certain topics or circumstances that are better for group therapy than individual therapy? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think there are certain topics that perhaps the new patient or new client wants to talk about and would feel more comfortable speaking on a one-to-one in front of a group of people. But um, that can be taken care of. How old is your uh, son? 39. And what is he doing now? He is a therapist. He's a licensed therapist. And he, uh, he works with addictions. And he's terrific. Handsome, well-spoken, and just a terrific therapist. Who do you find to be your most interesting patients? If any of them are watching this, I need to be like really parental, you know. I love all my children the same. I love all my patients the same. Uh, and they're all interesting. <laughs> Very good. Thank you. Let's put it another way. Okay. What are some of the most intellectually interesting conditions that you treat? Um, I really like treating super bright people. And I like treating these super bright people when they're out to disprove me that I'm wrong in the things that I say to them. And then they come back and tell me, you know, Doc, you were right. <laughs> I like that. Now, you wrote a piece on LinkedIn about the need for psychology to progress and to change with society. Uh, could you elaborate on that? Society needs to change. It does. It needs to change. I mean... You're very much aware. You know, look what's happening in the world. It's, it's just awful. I really want to change the direction of group therapy. From what to what? From autocratic to a free-flowing relationship between client and therapist. Where do you think psychology is falling short if it is falling short? Oh, this is going to get me in trouble. Are you trying to get me in trouble? Yes. Psychology is still trying to find an identity. Okay, after all these years, it's still trying to find an identity. For example, you came to me what, 20 years ago. You're my patient. 
uh, they said, um, no, we cannot do this anymore. We're then following a medical model. But the reality is the word patient comes from the Greek meaning one who is suffering, not one who is sick. So then it got changed. You're no longer my patient. You're my client. All right. We have a business arrangement. You're my client. Now there are certain agencies. You're no longer my client. You're my consumer. It's really wacky. You're no longer a doctor. You're a healthcare provider. Oh, is that what I am? <laughs> I'm so glad. <laughs> You've answered my lifelong question. <laughs> um, now that you have finished writing your seventh book, which you say is going to be your last book. Yes, sir. What are your career goals at this stage? If I knew the answer to that, I would definitely tell you. It's like, what do I want to do when I grow up? Um, I have no idea. But I trust my feelings. I'll know when it's time to retire, I believe. I'll know what direction I want to go in. Um, I'm 75 years old. I want to have fun. You know, uh, I'm a middle-class Jewish achiever. Everything has been serious for all these years, you know, work, accomplish, work. <laughs> I want to. I want to have fun. How can people learn more about you if they want to learn more? Google me. There must be three hundred things about me on Google. And the latest book, Introduction to Group Therapy. Yes. It's been a pleasure to have you. Thank you. It's really been a pleasure to meet you. Hope yeah. you come back again. Thank you. I hope you will have me back again. You're a nice guy, and you have a nice sense of humor. Exploring Different Brains is a production of Different Brains, Inc. For more information, visit us at differentbrains.org.